0: We got served with an order to appear in New York State Southern District Federal Court. The complaint was from a company down in New York that owned the trademark Bright Furniture. That was the week or the day that I learned a little bit about trademark law in the United States.
1: And that's how they got the name, Article. This is The Growth Effect. I'm Sarah Stockdale. Article is a really great name. It's snappy, it's sophisticated, and it's unique. But it came about because of legal trouble. This shows us that even for household names, success is not a straight line. Bright wasn't even the first version of Article. It started as a business that let you fill a shipping container to save money shipping overseas. Turns out, furniture is the easiest way to fill a container. So now this is a furniture company that doesn't let you sit on the couch before you buy it. It's a huge direct-to-consumer e-commerce furniture brand with over 300 employees. And honestly, that may sound like a lot, but its competitors are massive multinational furniture brands like IKEA. They've built a huge business and stayed lean doing it. Article is a design company that was started by four college buddies who are not designers.
0: I remember meeting Amir on the fourth floor of the civil engineering building there. Amir was using this search engine called Google at the time, I thought, wow, he's advanced.
1: Today, I'm talking to two of those four friends.
0: My
2: name is Amir, co-founder and CEO at Article.
0: I'm Andy Prohaska. I'm a co-founder and COO here at Article.
1: Article was already growing rapidly for a decade. Then, 2020 forced us all to spend a lot more time inside our homes. People started buying nice furniture, and they weren't going into showrooms to do it. And while many furniture businesses were scrambling to improve their online experience, or honestly, get online at all, Article had its biggest sales month ever in April of 2020. Their revenue grew by 70% that year alone. Let's go back to 2011. 2011. The world was still reeling from the financial crisis, and Andy was working with his brother Sam in Edmonton.
0: We were at the time in real estate, a real estate software business, so you can imagine what the subprime mortgage crisis did to that business. We were just hemorrhaging customers. It was terrible.
1: Amir Bag, meanwhile, was in Vancouver and had just sold a tech company. He was doing pretty well and was looking for something new. So when Amir got a call from Andy with an idea, he jumped on a plane to Edmonton. The story of article after this. Whether you're a large multinational company or your business is still an idea, HSBC is here to help you grow. They can help your reality match your vision. And if that vision crosses borders, they do too. Whether in Canada or in the 53 countries and territories they have commercial presence, HSBC meets you where you are. Learn more at business.hsbc.ca.
0: We parked ourselves at a booth in the IHOP on Calgary Trail in Edmonton, and I don't remember how many pots of coffee we consumed that morning, but it was excessive, to say the least. Uh, But we sketched out this fill-the-container model. We convinced ourselves that this was a revolutionary idea. Uh, Amir used that word profound, and I think with that amount of caffeine, it was uh, (laughs) 10 times as (laughs) profound as it may sound (laughs) to your listeners today but we sketched it out and uh, that was sort of the the genesis of it
3: you had this moment of financial crisis you were kind of in you know in the real estate business And a lot of people are in that moment right now, like a lot of people listening to this podcast are in their own version of that 2008 financial crisis. How did you go from we're hemorrhaging customers, we've worked so hard on these things that we've built to, and it sounds like relatively nimbly, you kind of switched directions and said, okay, what have we learned? What are the things that we know to be true? And how can we leverage that to build something else?
0: These periods of sort of intense uncertainty, this is just the natural sort of state of starting something from nothing. And Amir said this years ago, and it resonated with me, when you start out on something, you always hope that it's going to turn into something great. But at the outset, it's just one person or two people in one small little room somewhere with aspirations. That's what you have. So everyone has to take that step sort of into nothingness with an aspiration. But the key is you have to move quickly. If you get attached, too attached to the way of doing something too comfortable with a particular line of business or too enamored with a particular something that has worked and you slow down your pace of innovation, then you expose yourself to real risk. If you look at it through that lens, what choice do you have other than to forge ahead?
3: And Amir, I'm curious too, because at this period of time, you have... It sounds like had a pretty exciting moment, a pretty good kind of acquisition moment. When you were starting Article, Fill a Container at the time, what were you bringing from that experience into this new company?
2: It's a good question. Obviously, quite a few scars. (laughs) (laughs) Part of what we learned was ideas are just that. They're ideas. They may work. They may not work. But it's important to get going and then make adjustments. So you have to start with the, I think, intellectual humility to realize that it's just an idea. It's a thought. It may not work. Let's get going. Let's test it. Let's experiment. Let's adjust. Fail inexpensively is a term that I use internally so that... uh, you have enough of a runway to finally find something that clicks. But until I think you kind of fail a bit yourself, the, the lessons maybe don't truly take hold. But you kind of need that. Uh, if you didn't have a, a high level of
0: optimism and confidence in, in some concept, you wouldn't start. You wouldn't take that step.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I've spoken to a couple of folks on the podcast who started businesses with, you know, Ashley from Smash and Test started a business with her, her mom and her best friend, your, you know, kind of college buddies, Sam is your brother, Andy, like you have kind of a lot of ties there relationship wise, what was that like to found something together?
0: Sam and I had already had somewhat of a track record of um, working together in various enterprises. So we'd learned how to work together reasonably effectively. We learned that one key lesson that there has to be one ultimate decider in any main business. And if you break that rule, you're in for trouble. That is sort of the main takeaway. We aren't big ego people. I think we're fairly pragmatic. We haven't disagreed on too many things. I mean, the biggest source of kind of Tension, and I, I recall this early on, having these founders meetings week after week, where Fraser and I would be pressuring Amir to buy more inventory, and uh, Sam and Amir would be on the other side uh, saying, "You know, we have limited cash reserves here. Let's so we have to be prudent." And of course, Amir having the the, the ultimate decision authority there. Those discussions were frequent, but they also ended quickly. Uh, they were effectively resolved each time. I still think Amir should have bought more inventory. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you should have bought more inventory? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we
2: felt it's important that there be one captain of a ship. The other thing that we believe is that the right captain of the ship should be one that solicits input And quite often that process can end up with ideas and thoughts and decisions that were very different from the individual ideas and thoughts that everybody brought to the table. It's also important for that formal authority to respect the informal authority of the merits of the ideas and thoughts of everybody. That mutual thing has to come into play. And maybe that's how maybe pragmatism prevails.
3: I'd love to hear about coming to the name article. Tell me a little bit about that story.
0: What number name is Article? I mean, we finally found our name, but how many failed uh, names? We have Trade Mango Solutions, Fill the Container, Bright, and ultimately Article. The first two names, Trade Mango Solutions and Fill the Container, we started the business with these two names, one the corporate name, one the trade name. We moved quickly over to Bright, Bright with a Y. We liked that name. That's when we really started to see some traction, some product market fit, the business started to take off. I think it was Christmas Eve 2015, 2014. We got served with an order to appear in New York State Southern District Federal Court. The complaint was from a company down in New York that owned the trademark Bright Furniture, B R I G H T Furniture, and they were filing for a uh, an injunction against us to cease uh, operating uh, under the Bright name in the United States. That was the day that I learned a little bit about trademark law in the United States. <laughs> on
3: Christmas Eve, you learned about trademark law on Christmas Eve.
0: Oh, yeah. And it, and it was in order to appear in court like the first day or two back from the whole Christmas break. So it was like early January. It's like, here you go, Christmas Eve. Uh, yeah, we, tomorrow's tomorrow, and everyone's off for the next uh, two weeks. But you uh, you get, you know, the day everyone gets back, that's when you got to be down in court in front of a judge. So you can imagine— If you've got a business, you've been working at it for a few years, you finally hit your stride, you're getting some resonance, uh, and then you get hit with that on Christmas Eve. It was a bit of a panic, really. (laughs) So uh, we sort of, Amir, Sam, Fraser, and I mobilized that week calling up lawyers and trademark lawyers. We sort of divided and conquered. It was funny the reaction there. Amir was very measured about the whole thing. My reaction to these things is, I'm the sort of count to six kind of person where I freeze for a little bit (laughs) and contemplate. I get quiet. Sam jumps into action. And I think Fraser's more of a jump into action kind of person. So we had these three distinct reactions to that event. But the result was we, there was this point, I think, I don't know if it was Sam or Fraser. Someone said, look, maybe we can just resolve this. If Amir chats with the owner of the trademark down in New York, maybe we can resolve this without having to escalate. And I wasn't on that call, but uh, I do remember, you know, sitting there with Sam and Fraser sort of, it was a bit of a nail biter waiting for Amir to report back. And uh, fairly quickly, Amir reported back to us and we had a solution. Fancy that, go chat with someone about a problem and bang (laughs) out a solution. So our head of marketing, Duncan, he was due to start working at Article, I think it was in February, and he recounts this story pretty well that his first job was to rename the company... (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> Welcome. You have the biggest job there yeah. is.
0: Welcome. Here you go. Find us a good name. You have uh, 90 days.
3: <laughs> oh, wow. And he
0: did. He found a fantastic name.
3: It's a great name. It's hilarious how you got it. <laughs> and it sounds incredibly stressful.
0: Yeah. Hilarious in retrospect. That, <laughs> that, those 10 days, uh, you know, you talk about facing existential crisis. Uh, who wants to get an order to appear in New York State Southern District Federal Court Uh, The day after holidays end. (laughs) I I don't even know what that is. (laughs) But it sounds incredibly intimidating.
3: It sounds terrifying. If somebody sent me that on Christmas Eve, I think I would just go hide under something. I would find the nearest thing to hide under and stay there until Boxing Day.
1: Finance has a crucial role to play in tackling climate change and HSBC wants to help you and your business transition to a low carbon world. They are committed to supporting responsible economic growth and enabling the low carbon transition. In Canada, HSBC can help you navigate the world of sustainable finance. They deliver a global banking experience with sustainable solutions and insights to support your business. Learn more at business.hsbc.ca.
3: I'm an entrepreneur myself and I was thinking a lot about article over the last few days. And the thing that kept coming to my brain was how do you start a furniture company? Like I've seen so many different, especially software companies get started because that's my background, but it's interesting. You were at a time when, you know, direct to consumer wasn't necessarily the norm. It's you've kind of, I think companies like article and quite a few e-commerce companies have been pushing towards direct to consumer. And I'm really kind of curious about, you know, truisms in industries, things that people think are going to stay forever. What was something that was industry knowledge or something that everybody thought would stay true that you just threw in the garbage very quickly in building your business?
2: One of them is very obvious. It's so obvious that we, it's even uh, hard to recollect at this stage because I think it's been 10 years now. But at the time, there was question marks like, will people buy furniture online? The discerning customer that wants something good that's going to last a long time in their home and a lot of life is going to happen around it, will they buy something sight unseen? There was a fair amount of skepticism about that. And of course, the industry truth was that, no, you need those showrooms and, and show the product and salespeople in the floors. And because of that, the home furnishing industry has traditionally, be, the logistics model behind it is you have a furniture store in the local city and they have a local warehouse and a delivery team. And you came in, you look at something you order and the delivery team will come and deliver it uh, to you from the local warehouse. It the, the home furnishing industry was never kind of designed to have this central warehousing of products that can move furniture across the country and continent into cities and into people's homes that type of a fulfillment network that type of a logistics network didn't exist and there was lots of skepticism about that because can you imagine moving tables and sideboards and bedrooms and sofas if a customer gets it with a nick or a ding or a scratch you know you're just have to kind of reverse it all the way and so there was skepticism from on the back end supply chain side that there's a reason why furniture is locally sold and bought and we didn't have out of the box solutions available to solve these problems so we had to build our own a massive amount of investment that article has gone into building its supply chain interestingly enough we now average substantially lower damage rates than local people delivering furniture because I think our damage rate is 0.25 or 0.3%, something along those lines, like one out of every 300 or 400 pieces gets a nick or a ding or a scratch or something like that. When we started with local deliveries, we were told that you're not going to get this better than 5%, 10%. One out of every 10 or 20 pieces uh, is going to be damaged.
3: For a lot of businesses, right now is not a good time entrepreneurs listening who might be in that period who might be in those dark days maybe maybe andy for you back to you know the financial crisis times what can you offer them what has gotten you through
0: that period 2009 2010 uh, the way that it manifested for uh, in my brother and my businesses at that time there's no easy answer i remember <laughs> it's another christmas eve story back in 2009 or 2008 i forget which our credit card processing company and our my brother and my real estate software business called us up. Christmas I don't know what's going on with Christmas Eve here, but Christmas Eve called us up and said, we've changed the way we're processing credit cards and, and withholding percentage. So now we need to hold back six months of revenue at any one time. So we're not going to release funds to you for another four months. What? As if it wasn't bad enough that we were hemorrhaging customers. And uh, now our bank told us they weren't going to give us access to money unless we underwrote it with personal assets. Yeah. The fact is there is no easy answer to this. These periods of intense uncertainty and difficulty, they just happen from time to time. That won't be the last time that I face sort of that fever pitch of uncertainty in my professional life, I'm sure of it. And it won't be the last time that many entrepreneurs out there in that state right now will face it. But the fact is, if you Don't relent when everything inside you is telling you to relent. If you don't, if you hold it and you push through and you venture forth, you will come out stronger on the other side. It's so cliche to say it, but it is a fact. The people that hold on and find those creative ways to get through it and the creative financing uh, options, and they take the opportunity to really look in the mirror carefully and shed the elements of their businesses that in their heart they really know are no longer viable in favor of opportunities as uncertain as they may be of uh, future prosperity and viability. A year from now, two years from now, you're going to look back and it will have been a traumatic time, but you will be in a better space, a better state. That's the fact, but there's no easy answer.
2: There's a quote that has stuck with me kind of for the half my life that I can remember now, that whatever happens to you is less significant than what happens within you. It's about maintaining still a positive, optimistic mindset in the face of adversity. Uh, And it's just still maintaining confidence in yourself that things will be okay. Even if the business fails, you might start another business.
3: I love that. Uh, If it feels like the end, maybe it's not. Maybe you're almost about to found something like Article. So it might not be the end.
2: Let us know. We might be interested in investing.
1: That was Amir Beg, CEO, and Andy Prohaska, COO. They're two of the four co-founders of Article. Andy said something important there. He said that as a business owner, if you just don't relent, even when every cell in your body is telling you to quit and go home, if you instead find a way to survive, you'll come out stronger on the other side. And he would know. He owned a real estate business in 2008 when the collapse happened. But instead of packing up the entrepreneur thing, he found a new problem to solve and enlisted his old college buddies to do it. Then, under the leadership of Amir, they set out to build a business in a field none of them had experience in. They did it by questioning everything the furniture industry told them was true and finding a better way. One of the fastest-growing Canadian companies was born out of a different crisis. That gives me hope for what will come next for the entrepreneurs who when their restaurant, gym, or small business got hit, decided not to relent. The ones who, after a well-deserved rest, get up off the mat and choose to build again. Those companies will be stronger. They'll define what comes next for the Canadian economy, and I'm really excited to see it. We only have one more episode of Season 2, and it's out next week. If you haven't already, go back and listen to the rest of the season. Our guests have been so, so good. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and share us with your friends. And of course, hit the follow button so you don't miss more Growth Effect in the future. The Growth Effect is produced by The Globe Content Studio in partnership with HSBC Bank Canada. The producers are Jay Coburn and Katie Jensen of Vocal Fry Studios. Our executive producer is Kieran Rana. I'm Sarah Stockdale. Thank you for listening.